biology. 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 Hello and welcome back to the final episode of the HSC Biology Podcast content series. It has been an absolute pleasure to run you through the HSC syllabus. And yeah, I just want to do a quick shout out to my sponsor, STEM Reactor at stemreactor.com.au for supporting me the whole way through. And if you'd like to support the show, you can always buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash HSC Biology Pod. Well, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So we are continuing to look at the range of causes of disorders, specifically looking at the loss of kidney function today. So we're going to be looking at the structure and function of the kidney. We're then going to look at the technology used to fix or to improve the disorder, and that is dialysis. And then we are going to evaluate the effectiveness of a technology that's used to manage and assist with the effects of one of the disorders we've spoken about. All right, so let's take a look now at the structure and function of the kidney. Now we have two kidneys and they sit just below our rib cage on sort of either side of our spine and their main role is to be a filter for your blood. So your blood has many components, some good, some bad, and the kidney's role is going to be to produce urine. And in your urine is going to be a number of different things which we'll go through in a minute. Now, when we're talking about the structure of the kidney, it's probably best to know the parts that are involved in the filtering. There are many parts of a kidney that you know might not necessarily be relevant to what we need to know, but I'm going to just follow the path that blood takes through the kidney, and hopefully that will help you to understand uh, the different structures. So, blood comes in via something called a renal artery, and that renal artery is carrying the blood that has all of the good things and some of the bad things and, you know, a big mixture of things that we need to filter and regulate. Now, that renal artery is going to connect to a bunch of capillaries that run all the way up to the very outer part of the kidney. Now, the outer part of the kidney that wraps all the way around, and this is sort of like one centimeter thick that runs all the way around the whole length of the kidney, is called the cortex. Now, those capillaries are going to be running directly into what we call the functional unit of the kidney. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's going to be running into the actual filters, the thing doing the filtering, and that is called a nephron. So the nephron is going to have the role of taking out the nutrients that we want, regulating nutrients that we need to regulate, and removing wastes that we need to remove. Now, we have between 750,000 to 1.5 million of these nephrons in each kidney, and so their role is pivotal in extracting the things that we need to extract. Now, I'm going to leave the structure and function of the nephron there. It does get a bit more complex, but we're going to keep going through the structure and function of the kidney first. So those blood vessels, which have now deposited all the things they have to into the nephrons to be filtered, will then collect all the things they need to collect by wrapping around those nephrons. So all of these uh, capillaries that are in the area are not only depositing their, their materials, but they're also collecting the ones that have been filtered. Now that's going to move then back through uh, and out via the renal vein. So the renal artery is carrying the blood in to be cleaned and regulated, and the renal vein is carrying back out that blood, which has been cleaned and the waste has been removed. Now, the other major parts are the parts that are actually doing the filtering. So once the nephron has actually filtered the blood, then waste needs to go somewhere. 
So just like when you have waste in your home and you use the bathroom, it goes down a pipe and that pipe connects to a bigger pipe and then eventually it goes down an even bigger pipe to the main collecting station. Now your body is similar. You have nephrons that have little collecting tubules. That's what we'll talk about in a minute, but they're like the pipes running from your house. Now on the kidney diagram, you'll notice that they have something called a minor calyx and that's kind of like the slightly bigger pipe that's collecting some of those wastes. That connects to the major calyx, which is an even larger pipe. And then finally, they're going to end up in the ureter, which is going to collect all of those wastes to send them off down to the bladder to be excreted. So they're the main filtration tubes that we're going to use. The other major parts of the kidney that are important to know include the renal medulla. Now, the medulla is basically underneath the cortex. So think about the cortex as, you know, the one centimeter thick outer layer. And then the renal medulla sits underneath that, and that's the inner layer of the kidney, and it's, you know, about three or four centimeters thick. And in that renal medulla sit the renal pyramids, and these are where the nephron structures are found, and that's where a lot of those uh, wastes are going to be excreted. So they're the major parts of the kidney that you will need to know, and different parts for filtration. All right, so just a quick recap. Blood comes in via the renal artery. It goes up to capillaries found in the cortex, which attach to nephrons doing the filtering. Those nephrons will filter out the bad things. It will regulate the things we need to regulate and keep the things we need. That will go back into those capillaries, which will then flow out via the renal vein. All of the waste and excess material will collect in the minor and major calyxes and then off to the bladder via the ureter. Now we're going to take a closer look at this nephron, and this is certainly a complex part of the body. So again, it's going to be much easier if you have a diagram in front of you as I'm speaking about this. So we're going to continue to follow the blood, and then we're going to trace it through the nephron. Now when the blood comes in via those capillaries I spoke about before, sitting in that cortex, the capillaries aren't just going to come in in one long thin tube, they're going to end up in a ball of capillaries called a glomerulus. And that glomerulus is going to increase the surface area of those blood vessels. Now you might remember that from year 11, surface area is so important in the body. So we're going to have a ball of capillaries and this is where we're going to sort of squeeze out all of the stuff in the blood so that it can then go into the nephron and then be filtered and regulated. So as the blood comes through into this glomerulus, the glomerulus sits in what we call the Bowman's capsule. And this sits directly around that ball of capillaries. And this is going to be extracting those things that are coming through. Now, what actually gets through? Well, there's a number of different things, but I'm going to go through five key things that can get through and then talk about how they're regulated throughout the nephron. So as those chemicals go through the glomerulus and then get filtered into Bowman's capsule, this is like your actual filter now, you're actually in the nephron, the, the Bowman's capsule is only going to collect things that are small enough to get through. Now, there are a number of different things that we want to get through and things that we don't want to get through. So the five things I'm going to talk about that are regulated are urea, which is a waste product, glucose, which you know about, salt, which you'd know about, water, which you'd know about, and amino acids, which you should know about as well. So those five key ingredients are, the, are going to be filtered into the nephron via that Bowman's capsule. Now, things that are too large to get through that capsule will continue on in the blood. And these things include red blood cells and proteins. So we're not going to get rid of them. We don't want to. We want to keep them anyway. 
So those five chemicals we just spoke about that are now filtered into Bowman's capsule are going to move through four main parts of the nephron. Now I'm going to go through each of the names of the parts first and then explain what they do. The first one is called the proximal convoluted tubule and proximal just means closest to or near to. And this sits in that cortex, so the outer part of the kidney. Now the next part of the nephron is called the loop of Henle. And this is where the nephron kind of goes down a big slippery slide that dips all the way down into the medulla. You remember me talking about the medulla as the inner part of the kidney? Well, this nephron dips down into that medulla, which is very important. We'll talk about why in a minute. And then goes all the way back up to the cortex again to attach to the distal convoluted tubule. And this is very similar to the proximal one. It's just further away. Again, a bunch of different things happen here. Now, all of that is connected to the collecting duct. Now, you remember me talking about your bathroom at home having a pipe that sort of collects that waste to send it off? Well, this is the collecting tubule. This is where all of that waste material and regulated stuff is going to go via the collecting tubule. So once again, we have the proximal tubule, the loop of Henle, the distal tubule, and the collecting duct. So let's now follow those five key ingredients through each of those steps. So the proximal convoluted tubule is where all five of our ingredients now sit. But we want to get back as much of the good stuff that we can. Now, what are the really good things in our blood that we really need from those five chemicals? Well, I spoke about glucose and amino acids. Now, would we want to get rid of those? Well, no, we wouldn't. We want to keep our glucose because that's used for respiration. We want to keep our amino acids because that's going to be used to build proteins, which, you know, is going to make us who we are. So we want to get back around 100% of that stuff in the proximal convoluted tubule, and that's what we will do. We're going to collect or uh, reabsorb those chemicals. Now, where are they going to go? Are they just going to go back into the kidney? No. If you remember me talking about those capillaries that wrap around the nephron, they're going to be reabsorbed back into the blood, and then they're going to leave via that renal vein, as I said before. So those chemicals, glucose and amino acids, are going to come out in that proximal convoluted tubule. Now some salt and water get regulated here, but very little. The next part of, is where most of the salt and water is going to be moving around, and that is the loop of Henle. So as those three key ingredients that we have left now, uh, urea, water and salt, move down into the loop of Henle, the loop of Henle, as I said before, is sitting in the medulla. And the medulla is basically a very salty environment. Now, when you have excess salt in an area, water is going to want to equalize that. Nature hates a gradient. And so the water on the way down on the loop of Henle is going to be leaving passively through the nephron walls and back into the blood. So we're going to be collecting some of that water back. Now, we're going to be left with some regulated water. We've still got our salts that I spoke about before and our urea at this point. And so as that material now moves back up the loop of Henle, salt actually leaves and is pumped out through that ascending limb or going back up, the limb that goes back up. And so salt is pumped out. Now, why is salt pumped out? Well, that creates that salty environment and that helps to reabsorb that water. So now we have a slightly regulated amount of salt and a slightly regulated amount of water. And we're left with, you know, more urea than anything at this point, which is good because that is our waste product. Now, as the urea and salt and water moves up back into that distal convoluted tubule, we're now back up in the cortex. 
Now, in the distal tubule is actually where we'll do the finer regulations. Uh, so this is where we're actually going to extract the salt at a specific level to ensure that our blood pressure actually stays correct. So this is actually where that happens. So we will once again actively pump salt out to create a saltier environment. And then this will extract the water that we need to. And so if you have more salt and water in your blood, you have higher blood pressure. And so this is where your blood pressure will be regulated. And there's a number of different hormones that act here, including things like aldosterone. But I don't think you'll need to know that for the new syllabus, but it's good to know anyway. So we've now fine-tuned our amount of salt and our amount of water. And what we're going to be left with in the distal tubule is the remaining urea and that regulated salt and water. And that's then going to go into that collecting duct. And as that material is moving down the collecting duct, we can once again extract more water if we need to. And we'll do this using a chemical called ADH or a hormone called ADH. Uh, and this stands for antidiuretic hormone. And that's basically going to increase the permeability of the walls of that collecting duct to water. So think about it like the collecting duct is a tube and you put some ADH near it and it's going to make sort of like tiny holes in that collecting duct so that water can leave if we need it to. And so the final adjustments of water are going to happen here and urea will actually be finely tuned here. We, we do need it for some functions in the body. But at this point, the main thing that's going to be left in that collecting duct is our urea at a higher concentration than when it started our salt and water, which has been regulated, and that's then going to move off via the minor calyx, the major calyx, the ureter, and then off to the bladder. And so that's really how the function of the nephron works. Now, one last final thing to note quickly would be the key terms that I just went through. So filtration is the first one, and that happens in the glomerulus, and that's where the materials move through the glomerulus into Bowman's capsule. Then we have reabsorption, and that's when we get back our amino acids, glucose, salt, and water. And the final one we have that I didn't speak about is called secretion. And that's where some of the materials that are in those blood vessels wrapped around the nephron will move into the nephron. So it's like in reverse. So they'll move into the nephron to be filtered along the way. All right, we're now going to go through the causes of disorders in the kidney, and that includes chronic kidney disease, and polycystic kidney disease. I do like to pick two for each one, just due to the dot point having disorders. So chronic kidney disease is characterized by a gradual loss of function in the kidney over time. And there are a number of different causes for this. The two we're gonna go through include diabetes and high blood pressure. So diabetes is where someone can't accurately regulate the amount of sugar in their blood, and therefore this leads to damage to the blood vessels. So excess glucose means that you get damage to blood vessels, and when you have damage to your blood vessels, those that are used in the kidney, so specifically for filtering, are going to have problems uh, stopping materials from actually moving through them. So when the blood gets into those nephrons, what happens is the damage causes excess materials to be filtered into the kidney, causing more damage. So those things are like proteins. Now, as well as this, it causes the narrowing of the blood vessels, so less material can actually make it to those nephrons. And that's really bad, again, because once again, you need oxygen and nutrients for the function of everything in your body and all of the cells. So the decrease in the function of the blood vessels leads to a decreased function in the nephrons. And therefore, over time, this causes the kidney to slow down and stop functioning efficiently. Now, high blood pressure is very similar 
it has a very similar effect. And diabetes actually leads to high blood pressure because, as I spoke about before, the regulation of blood pressure happens in the nephron. Well, unfortunately, if you have high blood pressure, it compounds that factor. So once again, you get constricting of those uh, blood vessels. That means less nutrients available for the uh, nephron to function. And again, over time, that's going to cause a decrease in that function. Now, the second one we're going to talk about is polycystic kidney disease. And this is a genetic disorder. So that's the cause of polycystic kidney disease. And how this works is a cyst is a fluid-filled sac that when it occurs in the kidney will cause lots of these fluid-filled sacs to just appear in lots of different parts. But if they appear near a nephron, they're obviously going to be pushing on vessels and the nephron itself. And this is once again going to slow the function of that kidney down and cause it to not function effectively. So polycystic kidney disease where you get fluid-filled sacs that are uh, basically all over the kidney. This will constrict, once again, those blood vessels, stop nutrients from getting to the nephron, and stop the nephron itself from doing filtering in an accurate way. So, yeah, that's polycystic kidney disease, which is a genetic disorder. All right, we're now going to talk about the technology that is used to overcome these disorders. And there are two forms of technology. And the two that I'm going to be talking about include kidney dialysis or renal dialysis or hemodialysis, it sometimes gets called, and peritoneal dialysis. So starting with the kidney dialysis, we're going to once again trace the path that blood takes through a machine this time called a dialyzer. And this is going to mimic the function of the kidney. So it's going to be doing a very similar role. Now to do this, we're going to start off with blood from an artery. So they will find an artery in your body somewhere where a lot of blood will come out from your neck, your chest, your leg, um, and your, or even your arm. Now the blood is going to move through a pump. So it's going to be needing some force to get through this machine. And it's going to be pumped into the thing that I said before called a dialyzer. Now, think about a dialyzer as like a big chamber that is filled with a fluid. And that fluid is what we call dialysis fluid. Now, within the chamber, your blood or your the blood flowing through will be split into many smaller tubes that allow it to exchange materials with that dialysis fluid. Now, those many smaller tubes allow an increased surface area. And again, from last year, you should know that that means you can increase the rate or the efficiency of that exchange. So once the blood is pumped into this device called the dialyzer, it starts moving through this dialysis fluid. Now, there's a very particular way that it moves through this fluid. The dialysis fluid is pumped in the opposite direction to the way in which your blood is flowing through the tubes. Now, what this does is create a concentration gradient, and you know that nature hates a gradient. This is the same function that fish use to exchange oxygen with the water, and the same thing that penguins use to exchange heat when they uh, walk around on the very cold ground. Their blood vessels will use this methodology. So, once again, we're going to use counter current exchange, so one fluid going one way and one fluid going the other way, and that's going to create that concentration gradient that allows us to exchange materials. Now, what materials are going to be exchanged? Well, the dialysis fluid is actually finely tuned for your specific needs. So we're going to once again talk about, you know, the five key ingredients I spoke about before. The dialysis fluid is going to have a 
100% glucose mixed in with it. It's going to have a full concentration of glucose. Now, why is that? It's because you don't want glucose to be exchanged across the membrane. You want the amount of glucose in the blood to stay the same. So that will be at 100%. Same with the amino acids. The concentration will be high enough that no amino acids can move through the membrane. Now, the things that are going to change are your specific salt, sugar, are your specific salt, water, and waste needs like urea and creatinine. So with salt and water, these will be finely tuned once again for your body's needs based on a blood test. So you'll go get a blood test, they'll find out what your body needs more of, what it doesn't need more of, and it will finely tune this dialysis fluid. Now the one thing that they're really going to put down to zero is the amount of urea in that dialysis fluid. The amount of urea and creatinine, which is the waste material we're trying to get out, is going to be at zero in the dialysis, and in your blood it's at a higher concentration. Now what that's going to mean is that the urea is going to move via diffusion from your blood in those chambers through the dialysis membrane into the dialysis fluid. And it's going to try and equalize that, and it's going to constantly do that. Now, the good thing is because we're pumping them in opposite directions, it will continue to be extracted throughout the whole length of the dialyzer. So by the time it gets to the end of the dialyzer, your blood has removed the majority of that urea and creatinine, and the other materials have basically been fine-tuned, so your other salts in the body. Now, that dialysis fluid is being pumped up through uh, the dialyzer, and it will be pumped out, and it will constantly be refreshed. So it will be pumped out. All of the excess dialysis fluid that has been used will be pumped into a container to be uh, thrown away, and fresh dialysis fluid will constantly be pumped through the machine. Now, this will happen over a number of hours, so this is not a short period of time. You will need to go into hospital, depending on the kidney needs, for up to eight hours. Now, that's a long period of time to be sitting in a chair, but this does restore quality of life. It is replicating the function of the kidney. It is certainly not helping the kidney uh, to repair or heal. It's just simply doing the same job. Now, that blood, once it's cleaned, will then be pumped back in through a vein into your body so that it can once again circulate around with those adjusted chemicals. The removal of that urea and creatinine, your glucose is still there, your amino acids are still there, your water and salt balance has been adjusted, and now you'll have that blood that is going to be able to be more readily used by the body so you can maintain your health. And that's really the function of the dialysis machine, to allow someone to remain healthy and continue living with a good quality of life for as long as they can. But obviously, as that kidney condition worsens, this becomes more and more difficult to do. All right, so that was one form of dialysis. And just because the dot point says technologies, we're going to look at a second form, as I said before. So peritoneal dialysis is the second one we're looking at today. And the function is very similar, but the process is a little different. In peritoneal dialysis, a catheter needs to be placed into the abdomen of an individual who's going to be receiving the treatment. A catheter is basically a small hole that's going to allow fluids to be placed into the abdomen. Now that'll usually be sort of around the belly button area and you know they'll allow for about a month before that's healed before they engage in uh, peritoneal dialysis. Now what will happen is uh, you'll be given or prescribed a once again a solution of dialysis fluid so just the same as before. But in this case it's in just a large bag 
And what you'll actually do is connect up to that catheter, that fluid, and actually it will just be poured directly into your abdomen. So it will actually fill up the uh, sort of inside of your body behind your belly button and all that area, sort of around those major organs down near your stomach. And once again, it's going to be finely tuned for your body's needs. And the exchange of materials will once again take place with this solution. So because it's going to exist in the interstitial fluid, so in between your cells, it's going to be extracting materials from any blood vessels that are nearby. Because of the concentration of water, salts, and waste, you're going to once again lose that urea and creatinine into the waste, and it's once again going to be uh, filling up in your stomach and equalizing that gradient. Now, this can take a long period of time, similar to the dialysis machine, up to six to eight hours. Now, as that fluid has been poured into the abdomen, simply by gravity, so you know it's just flowed into the abdomen, the way in which it's extracted is the bag is simply placed down lower than the initial catheter height, and this will cause the liquid to simply drain out, and that exchanged material that has gone into that dialysis fluid will now leave the body. And so this is a technique that can be used more at home. It doesn't have to be in a hospital, and it certainly can, uh, once again, restore the quality of life of the individual by removing those wastes from the body. The bag is then disconnected, and the waste material is thrown out, and once again, a blood test will need to be done for the next treatment cycle. All right, so they are the technologies used to manage kidney disease. And now we are actually moving on to the very last dot point in the biology syllabus. How exciting. That dot point is evaluate the effectiveness of a technology that is used to manage and assist with the effects of a disorder. So this is really a continuation from the previous dot point and you are free to pick any of the technologies we have spoken about. Now those technologies include glasses or spectacles, we have laser eye surgery, we have hearing aids, we have bone conduction implants, we have the cochlear ear implant, we have renal dialysis, and we have peritoneal dialysis. So really you can pick any of those. And the one that I've actually chosen is the cochlear ear implant. And the reason is because I think there's a fair bit to write about. It takes a fair bit of detail to explain how it works. And it kind of gives you access to writing a great evaluate answer. So with this question, I actually suggest to my students that you have a pre-written answer. This is a straight up question that could be asked in the HSC. Evaluate the effectiveness of a technology that is used to manage and assist with the effects of a disorder. So evaluate, you know, you need to make a judgment at the end of it. Is it effective or not? And you need to really support that with information. So I'm going to read through my suggested answer and I will upload this to the Facebook page as well. So if you want to just head on over there, you can see the suggested answer that I've put up. But really, if you have a particular technology that you know well, or you know you might have a family member that uses one, or you just might understand it better than everybody else, I certainly suggest doing that. So this is just a suggested answer and certainly not something that I just expect everybody to use. So let's go through it now. So an evaluation, guys, um, you really want to have some introduction and you know start making your point. You want to do some definitions in the beginning and you want to use the idea framework if you haven't used that before. Basically identifying keywords, defining or describing them, explaining them in detail and giving examples, then analyzing, so linking components together, and then finally uh, making your valid judgment at the end based on that criteria. So let's go through now. 
The cochlear ear implant is a form of technology that is used to overcome sensory neural hearing loss. The cochlear implant works using a microphone on the outside of the ear that sends a signal to a receiver implanted in the skull. This distributes the message down to an electrode, which stimulates the cochlea at specific frequencies. Sensory neural hearing loss can occur when there is an issue with the inner ear. Usually the hair cells are affected. This can be due to damage, genetics, or even extremely loud sounds. To determine the effectiveness of the device, it is important to consider both positive and negative impacts. The cochlear ear implant is an amazing device that gives people with partial or complete hearing loss the chance to hear sound again. This is important to ensure the health and well-being of the individual. The individual will have the benefit of being able to interact with people more effectively as there will be less need for lip reading or sign language. Furthermore, the implant can be used to minimize the effects of developmental delays. The device can be implanted in children as young as six months old to ensure their brain is able to develop the skills to interpret sounds as effectively as possible. This minimizes the need for specialized schooling and equipment on the individual and the family. Individuals with the implant are able to be more independent, contribute to society more through work, and enjoy music and other auditory experiences that they may have otherwise missed out on. However, it is important to consider the negative aspects of this device. Although it can restore hearing, the quality of sound that it produces is less than the quality of normal hearing. It is also not guaranteed to work for all individuals. The device also needs to be surgically implanted, increasing the risk of infection, surgical complications, and issues with anesthetics. Furthermore, the device is extremely expensive, which means there are individuals who may not get access to the device, causing families to undergo financial hardship. Lastly, there are issues with individuals learning how to program and use the device. Overall, it is clear that there are issues with the implant. However, the benefits far outweigh them. An individual has a much greater chance to succeed and contribute to society, not only benefiting themselves and minimizing the impact on their family, but also minimizing the impact on the healthcare system. Around 300,000 devices have been successfully implanted worldwide, further confirming its effectiveness. Alright, so that's the end of my suggested answer. And you can see I've broken it down into an intro where I've got my definitions. I then go into the positives and negatives and give some examples of where they may be useful. And then at the end, I do my valid justification where I'm suggesting that it's better to have them than not have them. And I'm supporting that with a bit of data. So 300,000 devices that have been successfully implanted worldwide. All right, well, that's it, guys. That's the end of the content from the HSC Biology Syllabus. So if you have made it this far and listened to all of the episodes, well done. It is a great achievement, and you know I certainly hope that it helped you in one way or another. And when it comes time for the exam, I hope that you can use some of the examples that I used in the podcast. From me, guys, I just want to say thank you to anyone and everybody who's supported me, including the show sponsor and, you know, all my Year 12 students, all the ones in the past and the present, uh, and even the ones in the future that I haven't yet taught. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to run you through the syllabus. I hope that I can continue the podcast in one way or another, whether I'm doing some interviews or some other mechanism to teach you guys, um, maybe even a YouTube channel in the future, who knows. But, yeah, once again, I want to say thank you to everybody who made it this far and who listened, and make sure you do check out STEM Reactor at stemreactor.com.au if you need any STEM equipment in your school. School. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can donate at buymeacoffee.com slash HSC Biology Pod. Thanks again, guys. It's been a pleasure. I'll see you again soon.